Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, all the dentists from Initialized, Alda started her career off as a lawyer working for Peter Thiel and then with Sean Parker as the COO of Airtime. Alda is a very purposeful thinker, and this is just a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Along with the 500 other pieces of advice for how to raise money for your startup, I have one to add to the mix that I haven't heard before. Do your investor meetings on Thursday or Friday. For the past three straight weeks, we've had lots of meetings with investors, and the best ones, and the ones where all the checks that we've gotten have come from, have been Friday meetings. Obviously, there's some psychology here. People maybe aren't as happy on Mondays as they are on Fridays, but I think there's probably more to it than that. It's a funny pattern and an interesting observation, though. Obviously, we're not just going to have meetings at the end of the weeks, but it's something to keep in mind. Also, We've been having meetings with investors for a long, long time, and I'm just noticing this pattern now. So it hasn't always held up. But there's lots happening for PayClub right now. I think I mentioned how great our demo at Finovate went and all the interest that created. We're working on some pretty cool strategies that I'm sure you'll hear me talk about at some point. Anyways, my co-founder Jason, he was at a conference in Phoenix last week and is going to a big one in Toronto this week called Converge. So lots happening, and it all should be pretty good. Okay, let's get into the interview. Alda, thanks for having me to your office. This is like I have a hard time calling this an office. It's more like a like a someone's house, right? It used to be a house. Now it is our headquarters, but it is a very zen-like, very um, feng shui. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. You've got a really interesting background. Now you're a venture capitalist. You started your career totally, totally different path. Um, let's go to the very beginning. You graduate from undergrad. And what do you do? I graduated from undergrad, and I uh, had always wanted to be a lawyer. I grew up as a uh, you know Chinese immigrant in East Texas. Uh, so if you've ever watched any uh, Linklater movie, they're all based in East Texas, and that's the environment I grew up in. Uh, and had always thought that I had wanted to empower myself against uh, sort of bullies at school and people who understood the system better. And for me, the way that I thought that I could do that was to be a lawyer. So uh, I worked for a year at Disney before I really decided to plunge into the law and uh, went to uh, UCLA Law School. And 
What was the rationale for working at Disney? You just you needed some experience before you went to law school? I thought it would be fun to take a little break and um, see what the working world was like. And, uh, you know, Disney was a, a cool, glamorous company uh, for a 21-year-old who had just graduated college. And what did you work in finance or something there? I worked in investor relations. Got it. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. I got to take uh, analysts to movie premieres and theme park ride openings and uh, worked really closely with the CFO there at the time. Yeah, it's cool to have a fun product like that behind what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I always thought that my dream job would be to be uh, someone who was building the theme parks. It always seems so satisfying to me to have a physical manifestation of hard work and then to be able to see the joy on people's faces when they spent time there. And so um, definitely sort of one of the aspirational jobs that I thought that I'd want to have one day and, and have not gotten around to yet. It's building stuff. Yeah, building stuff and um, getting to see people enjoy it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's probably hardwired, hardwired into human DNA to, to build things and create value like that. Yeah, and so, you know, as a venture capitalist, we get to help people do that. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that, that that's the satisfying uh, aspect of it. Okay, so you always wanted to be a lawyer. You wanted to change the world and make it a better place. Were your, your parents, like, where did this law, like, how'd you come to law? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, um, you know, if I understood the system that governed us, if I was able to, uh, you know, find my voice, understand uh, how our legal system, criminal justice system, all those things worked, that I wouldn't be sort of the underdog anymore, that I wouldn't be seen as like the outsider or the immigrant, uh, that I would be able to, um, you know, sort of be a part of the system and hopefully be able to use it to, you know, in a way that was beneficial to um, more people. Right. So you work at Disney for small amount of time, take the, uh, the LSATs and you get into UCLA law school. Was that your number one choice? I, you know, having been in LA, I was really enjoying being yeah. there. And it was also appealing to me that it was a state school that I could pay, you know, significantly less than tuition, uh, for a top notch education. So I was very happy yeah, to be there. I, I went to business school there, but the business school is the one facet of the school that's not, they don't take state funding. And so they charge what they want. Really? I, was that a recent thing? Uh, My roommate and yeah, during more, law school was in business school, and I don't remember thing. that. That's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. So okay, so you go to UCLA Law School, you stop working at Disney, and and um, what are you thinking now? You're gonna want to go work for a big law firm, like a lot of law students do. I did. I you know I had applied. I remember one summer I applied for an internship at the, uh, the ACLU, the Federal Public Defender's Office. Um, and then also, um, I'm losing the words, but, uh, when you're the de a defense attorney uh -huh. and they assign you public a defender? public defender, I applied to the public defender's office. Thank you. I don't know why I know yeah. that. <laughs> and I remember interviewing in all these places and them asking me, how can I be applying to both be on the prosecution side and the defense side? And they thought that was completely inconsistent. And my answer was that I wasn't pro-crime, uh, but I did think people were entitled to uh, have a vigorous and, you know, like a vigorous defense and everyone is entitled to be represented. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think like both sides of that are important for our system to work. Yeah, that's such a, a loss, a lawyer way to see things. This is not because there's an inconsistency <laughs> yes. here. Um, 
So which, which internship did you end up doing? The ACLU. And, you know, I, I loved it. I, you know, I think the ACLU is still to this day, uh, you know, fighting for things that, um, you know, defend our, our civil rights and protect the Bill of Rights. Right. Okay. So this is, this is sound. This is like this picture is starting to come together here. Like this all makes sense. So then what? Uh, so where are we in the story? Are we after? Right, like right after the internship. Oh, we're right. right. Up, we're finishing up law school. Yeah, so I went to work for a big. Uh, I went to work for a big law firm um, in intellectual property law, and I was a, I was a litigator. So I was litigating trade secret, patent types of dispute. Obviously, like at a very junior level, I spent four years there and reconnected with some of my friends from undergrad. Uh, and I had met Peter Thiel in undergrad, and he had started this. Uh, venture capital firm called Founders Fund and a hedge fund called Clarium. And I went to work for him and was splitting my time between the two in a legal capacity. Between the two funds? Yes. And what kind of work are you doing there? So it was a legal capacity. So I was working on um, on the venture side, helping uh, with the deal work in terms of the stock purchase agreements and structuring certain investments. And then on the hedge fund side uh, with a lot of compliance and uh, regulatory matters. Cool. Okay. So like now you're starting to get into another industry. You're still in, the, in law, but you're starting to get to see what investment funds are like. And does this set you up for, you know, where you are today? Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, seeing the ethos of founders fund was very compelling to me. It was a very sort of founder first entrepreneur first mentality. And I appreciated that the folks were everyday sort of building things, the folks that we were investing in and, uh, really fascinated with the different types of technology and the ways that technology could transform different industries. And so I wanted to see what it was like on the founder side of it, uh, you know, founders being so glorified in the Silicon Valley ecosystem and especially at Founders Fund. And so, uh, you know, Sean Parker left Founders Fund to start Airtime. Uh, and so I, I wanted to join that and, and really get a sense of what it was like to, to build a company. And get into an operating role. Yes. So did you have hesitations about leaving law or you thought this is like a great background, I'll always have this influencing my, you know, through my career, but I'm going to go do something a little bit different now. No, I, I didn't have any hesitations about leaving the law. The law is still a part of me. It's still part of how I think. I have like very good reading comprehension skills, especially compared to a lot of my uh, peers. But um, I think it is getting back to that wanting to build things aspect that I wanted to see what it was like, uh, you know, at a at a company. And so, airtime was a and and still is a, in existence, a, you know, consumer internet uh, company. And it was a really exciting time while I was there. And you're working. I mean, I always talk on this podcast about people's advice, which I'm going to ask you at the very end, but people's advice is always like surround yourself with the smartest people you, you can. I mean, you're surrounding yourself with uh, Peter Thiel and Sean Parker, like pretty great visionary leaders. Yeah. And the company was also co-founded by Sean Fanning, who is another very, very brilliant man. And uh, the team there was really, really top notch. Uh, you can imagine with the resources and the folks who wanted to back airtime, we had uh, sort of the, a marquee list of investors behind the company. We were able to track very top notch talent. And I've seen those engineers and designers and uh, the team there 
go on to do great things, even though the company itself has gone through a couple of iterations. Right. So beyond being, I mean, so what were like the tangible things that you learned there? Sure. Uh, So it's interesting because uh, I I tend to not focus a lot on consumer internet investments uh, with my current investments. Uh, But the types of things that I learned there that I think are translatable are sort of, you know, how engineers think, how important the culture is to a company, how uh, processes need to be in place for product cycles and design cycles and iterations. Those types of things, I think, translate across different types of companies. But um, I think it's fair to say that I also, in, in working at that, you know, consumer internet company, like that had a very social component to it. Uh, was a little bit uh, jaded by how difficult it was to attract and keep and engage a consumer base of of, uh, of customers um, and users. And uh, I, I think it gives me a greater appreciation for the consumer companies out there that were able to find um, like user engagement and really be able to keep their users coming back and generating content on their platforms uh, like Pinterest or, or Reddit, for example, that have done a really great job at it. Yeah, I mean, some kind of combination of like a sexy product and a little magic and I mean, yeah, consumer requires something special. It does. And uh, we're all consumers. And so we all understand that mindset, but there's a lot more involved in, in making something stick and getting people to come back and, and think that's the, that's the real magic. Okay. So you've gone through law now, you're on an operating role, you're at a high growth startup, you're seeing things work and fail and, and, uh, and, and iterate. And so what was next for you? So, uh, airtime, you know, famously has, you know, gone through several iterations. One of them was moving the team to New York. Uh, at that point, I elected not to move to New York and joined the team at 137 Ventures, which was founded by, um, a couple of guys that I knew from, uh, Founders Fund. And so it was a really interesting concept of providing liquidity to employees who have, you know, perhaps been at a company for many, many years and are unable to lock the value, unlock the value of their equity. And I think it's a problem that we see every day with all of our friends who are working at these companies that have been private for nine, 10, 12, 15 years. Um, and who they were at 25 is very different from who they are at 35 and they may have higher capital needs or want to buy a house. Uh, and so that was sort of the premise behind the company and it's still going strong today and, and, you know, providing a liquidity for employees, which I, mean, I think I is fantastic. Today they just, or maybe yesterday they just raised a lot of new money. Yeah. Closed on a fourth fund. Uh, I was there, um, for, from fund one, two and three, and uh, I'm excited to see that they're, they've just closed on their fourth fund. Okay, so yeah, you're right. I don't think the listeners maybe quite understand. It's a little bit of a different asset class than investing directly in companies. You're investing secondarily after companies have already raised your buying shares from employees. Yeah, so we were really, for the most part, providing loans against equity. And um, at some point, we would get an option to buy the shares from the employee, but essentially it was a, as a loan structure and, you know, there were, there were other structures and sometimes the fund would invest directly at certain times as well. But the core was, uh, you know, providing this liquidity solution for, uh, employees and senior executives. And is that still how it's structured? You know, I haven't been there for almost two years now. Uh, I joined initialized, uh, sort of, uh, 
early summer um, of 2017, but my understanding is that it's it's very similar. Well, it's a valuable service providing liquidity to a market. Like- totally, and you know, I don't think there's enough people doing it. There's so many folks who are employees of venture back tech companies, and the founders will tell you that they want to avoid going public for as long as possible, and. Um, and I think that's understandable given that they have products that they want to build out. They have teams that they want to build out and being held hostage to a quarterly, uh, a quarterly sort of return cycle and reporting cycle is not conducive to that. But there are sort of byproducts of, of, a, of a longer hold period. Right. Okay. So the last leg of the career, the current initialized, how did you get this job? Uh, I actually was introduced to uh, the team here through my colleague uh, and fellow general partner, Eric Worshing. We met way back uh, in the story at Clarium Capital, which was Peter's hedge fund. And he was on the trading team there and was the head trader there. And so he ended up working at Clarium for about nine years and had joined Initialized uh, about six months prior to me. And when he had joined, he'd reached out because I was working in venture and he, you know, was, was, you know, wanting to, to reconnect and, um, you know, share some notes. Got it. Well, that's, I mean, that's like this paying dividends thing of like relations. Careers are long. It's good to set up relationships and culture, cultivate relationships along the way. For sure. I, um, I can't say, I can't emphasize that point more. I've, you know, talk, talk to students about how they can, you know, build their careers and get into venture. And it really is sort of making sure that you meet the right people, that you're, you know, excellent as, as much as you can be at all junctures and maintaining relationships because you really never know, um, you know, how things are going to come back around. I certainly would never have guessed that, you know, meeting Peter Thiel at the Coho, uh, you know, when I was an undergrad and he was in law school was, was going to come back around in my life at some later juncture. Yeah. I mean, that's a core theme of this podcast is the serendipity of, of, of everything. You just need to work hard and put yourself in the right situation and the universe kind of plays itself out. And as far as your podcast goes, it's worked out for everybody. Uh, I mean, if you're on this podcast and yes, it's worked, it's worked, <laughs> it's worked out for you. I mean, there's a selection bias, but uh, that's definitely one of the core ideas is that it's very seldom where someone's got like some grand plan when they're 12 years old. Really what they do is they work hard, they put themselves in the right spot, they graduate from school, no one has any clue what they want to do, they take a job, they meet someone, they develop some kind of technology that solves a problem and like, boom, they sell it to Google. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I personally love to read biographies for that reason, to see how people's lives end up the way that they end up. But I do think that there are some people, and I'm drawing a blank on who right now, who who might have had their lives planned out and, and actually have things worked out. But maybe it's just the exception. It definitely happens. But it, yeah, you're, uh, from what I found of the 80 or so podcasts I've done, this is the way that most people from what I found, I found it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what you do here and then we'll we'll start wrapping up. Sounds good. Okay, so what do you invest in today, Alda? We are a generalist fund. And one thing that I've learned moving from sort of later stage at 137 to earlier stage is that there's a plethora of opportunities and um, we have the luxury of working with the companies that have compelling founders that you feel a personal connection to that are working on areas that uh, are, are of personal interest. And so, you know, I think that 
we have a very broad investment mandate in terms of the types of companies we invest in. So we invest in crypto companies, we invest in fintech companies, we invest in marketplace companies, invest in infrastructure companies, real estate. Uh, so, you know, the things that have, have interested me so far, and, you know, I, th I think it's, it's, it could change tomorrow, uh, are sort of the real estate companies, the fintech companies, uh, companies that are sort of expanding opportunities for people. And so recently I made an investment in the Mom Project, which is uh, like a labor marketplace for, for mothers. Uh, and so they're sort of helping mothers get back into the workforce. They're also, uh, you know, helping mothers find employment that might have more flexibility component to them, whether that be sort of ability to work remotely or, uh, you know, shorter hours, uh, as well as, you know, some, some folks who just want to like find a, a full-time job. That's great. That sounds like rewarding work. Yeah, I, I think what's the most rewarding aspect is being able to help people build things that, that we find compelling. And, um, at the earlier stage, we're able to be be more involved, and that part uh, right. was really what I was looking for and in joining the team. As an investor, it sounds like you get to roll up your sleeves and actually contribute to the building. Is there something inside of you that, that still wants to be the the one person, be the principal building something? Are you going to be a founder in your career? I think it might be too late to build theme parks, um, although I saw that the Neverland was for sale. <laughs> <laughs> um, and probably m very much discounted, uh, as the days go on. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I say never say never. I, I do think, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about real businesses. I see a real appeal to businesses that have a, a tangible component to them. And so I would anticipate that as I, uh, you know, get a little bit more, um, liquidity in my own personal life that I might invest in something that is, you know, something like a, a, a restaurant or something very tangible or, um, it was like a, a consumer product type company where, uh, you can really see, uh, that you've actually built something that, you know, may, may actually bring like joy to someone's life. Yeah. That, that does sound like a good plan. So all the, like, I re we wrap up with two questions. I just added the second question, so lucky you. But the first one's about advice, and we're talking about advice for someone graduating from school early in their career, trying to find, carve out their path in life. Like, is there anything that you can tell someone like that? And then we'll, we'll get into the second piece, which is adding value to you. But the first one's just advice. My advice is very similar to what I was saying earlier. When folks ask me what they can do to advance their careers, I I think that um, what you were saying also holds true is being open to opportunities, being open to meeting new people, having follow-up uh, when you've met someone that you would like to maintain a relationship with, being excellent uh, and impressive and, and your best self uh, when you're when you're meeting new people and allowing those opportunities to happen. That's great. Okay. And lastly here, I always talk about providing value, you know, not just saying, Hey, can I have a job? But saying like, you know, how can I help you do your job? And then you could see what an excellent person I am. Is there anything the listeners of this podcast could do that would provide value to you? You know, people sometimes talk about, you know, they would look at my portfolio companies and give me advice or see if you know any great founders or I mean, Anything that, you know, because there's a lot of people listening to this that are hungry and are young in their career and they just want to, you know, a, a piece of helping out. All of the companies we invest in require someone to take a chance on them. And if it's from a com consumer perspective, it's 
I'm going to try out this new product. Uh, or if it's, a, if it's from, a, you know, enterprise perspective, it's, it's having someone on the other end say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do a pilot here. And so I think for me, what I would ask of your listeners is to be open to new technologies, be open to, uh, new, uh, new, consumer products and and try new things because that's how that's how we're going to have improvement that's how we're going to have innovation uh, and all of these all of these technologies that people are building are not going to be useful if no one adopts them or tries them out and helps others make them better uh, with their feedback so that's something that I would appreciate is uh, a, a general sort of open-mindedness and willing to try new things and then also uh, you know try them again and see if they've gotten better and provide feedback on that Cool. Well, all the, this was great speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I'm sure everyone will find it uh, fun to listen to and inspiring. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. Thanks for listening today. Please let me know what you think. Send me an email, alex at wallstreetoasis.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks.